turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 4, and uh, we're continuing on our sermon series, I Will Follow, and we're basically talking how do we equip ourselves to follow Jesus more effectively in life. And before you think that you don't need to equip yourself uh, to follow Jesus, just remember that we equip ourselves for just about everything in life. Uh, we, we're, we're always equipping ourselves. Uh, if you go to a job interview, you're going to equip yourself for that job interview. You're going to put on a, pair, a nice pair of clothing. Uh, you're going to get all studied up. You're going to get your resume uh, all worked up. If you're going to go to a job interview, if you go on a race, you go on a 5K race, you're going to get equipped for that race by getting in shape, maybe buying some clothes, uh, some sports clothes. You're going to equip yourself for that race. Um, if you're uh, traveling with uh, someone, you're going to equip yourself for a travel. Maybe you're going on vacation. And uh, how many of you guys know that uh, your, uh, your wives really like to equip themselves for any journey that requires a suitcase? I don't know how many of you guys know this. This is, this is, this is an axiom of the married life is that uh, we'll get ready to go on vacation. And maybe it's, it's just a day overnight, you know, overnight vacation, me and my wife. And I'll get, as a guy, I got, I got shirt. I got a clean pair of socks, and I'm good to go. If the socks are clean, it's a bonus, right? My wife, she comes out. She has the suitcase. She has 10, 10, different, uh, 10, 10 different outfits for, for the, the one night that we're going somewhere on vacation. I say, well, what do you need all those outfits for? We're, it's 10. She says, I'll be ready for anything. You don't know what could happen. So we're always, even we know it instinctually, we're always getting ready for things. If you have a child, you are always trying to, if you have to go leave anywhere with your child, you have to get your baby bag, you have to get clothing, you have to get diapers, and then you have to actually get them out of the car and get them, or get them out of the house and into the car. That takes 10 minutes. And then once you get to where you finally need to get, you have to take them out of the car. That takes another 10 minutes. There's always some type of equipping going on, preparation going on in life. And in the Christian life, it's no different. We're, we need to equip ourselves to follow Jesus and live the Christian life. We equip ourselves for lots of things in life because being equipped is important. Being equipped for things in life is important. In our story in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been traveling in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days Jesus has been traveling in the wilderness and he hasn't eaten a thing. And this is really at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hasn't chosen his disciples yet, uh, and he hasn't really performed any miracles but at this point in his life. He's really, again, the starting point uh, in, his, uh, in his ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, he's coming off of that, traveling in the wilderness for 40, year, or for 40 days, and uh, he hasn't eaten anything. And while he's in the wilderness, uh, let's, just, let's just read the story. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse number 1, read down to verse number 10. Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Obviously, right? You don't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, you're going to be hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him high on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. And that's actually uh, the devil's quoting there, Psalm chapter 91 verse number 11. The devil actually is quoting scripture. He gets out of context a little bit. Uh, in verse number 7, Jesus said unto him, it is written, again thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain 
and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So, we're coming to this story. Very, very interesting story, right? Very, uh, very incredible story that we read of Jesus being tempted uh, by, the, uh, by the tempter, by the devil. Jesus came face to face with the devil in this situation. In the confrontation Jesus has with the devil, Jesus is tempted three times. Tempted three times, and in each temptation, Jesus overcomes the devil. He overcomes the tempter, uh, tempter in all three of these situations. It's like the devil just couldn't get a foothold in Jesus' life. Three times, Jesus, he just, he puts the devil on blast, almost like the, the Rams last week. It just, he, he didn't give him a chance. You guys, you guys got to stay with me. You guys watched the Super Bowl last week. You guys got to stay with me. Stay awake. Eventually, the devil gives up, having lost against Jesus, and he leaves uh, Jesus to himself. So the question is, the question is, how did Jesus do it? Right? That's the question. How did Jesus uh, confront the devil and was able to, uh, to guard against him? He was able to uh, he withstand the uh, temptations of the devil three different times. How is he able to do that? And how can we learn from that situation? So that's the question. Let's look at what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4. Look at the, verse, uh, the first part of that verse. But he answered and said, it is written. Now look at verse number 7, first part of that verse. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. Now look at the, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 10, the first part of that verse. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, the third time, for it is written. In all three temptations, Jesus overcomes the tempter with Scripture. Three times Jesus is tempted, and three times he responds with, It is written, it is written, it is written. It was the Word of God that equipped Jesus to fight temptation and live an effective life. And this morning, what we need is the Word of God. If we want to fight temptation in our life, if we want to follow Jesus more effectively and more efficiently in our life, we need the Word of God to be in our life and in our heart. Scripture is the most important weapon and the most effective tool to help us through life. Scripture is the great need of Christians today. Scripture is what we need this morning. Scripture is what changes things in our life. Scripture is what builds us up and equips us as Christians. The more scripture we have in our life, the more of the word of God we have in our heart, the more we can fight the temptations of this life, and the more we can live effective Christian's life. It is the word of God, the scriptures of the Jesus Christ that we need this morning. That's what we need more of in our life. That's what's going to help us in our family. Scripture is whatever we need it to be in life. Scripture, it is the fire uh, for our energy. It is a sword for our defense. It is the hammer that breaks the hard heart. It is the lamp for our journey. It's the light unto our path. It's a light against the darkness. It's the water that washes us. It's the anchor for our soul. It is more valuable than gold. No thing is more important to the Christian journey than the Word of God. If a Christian has everything in his life, but he does not have the Word of God, he cannot fight temptation the way he could have. That is what equips us for life. It's the Word of God. That is what we need. It is the Word of God, the Word of God that you hold in your lap this morning. That is what we need more of in our life. So I don't know how many of you guys like to hike. I've told you guys a story about how me and my wife like to hike every once in a while. Uh, but we were, 
hiking uh, probably about a year ago now, and uh, maybe it was a little bit over a year ago, a little bit over a year ago uh, this upcoming May. We were hiking Mount Whitney, and we've hiked Mount Whitney before, Whitney before and I, I think I might have told you guys a couple stories about Mount, Mount Whitney, but one particular story, there's just so many things that happen on Mount Whitney when we go hiking on Mount Whitney because we do so many dumb things, we make so many mistakes. But one mistake we made was going on Mount Whitney, and uh, we didn't bring all the necessary gear with us. So you come up to the town, uh, Lone Pine. It was just right next to, right next to the mountain. And we, we talked to some people in, in, a, in the, uh, the gear shop. And we talked to them and we say, so what do we need when we're on this mountain? We know there's some snow on the mountain still. We, we know that the, the, one of the passes might be, might be closed because of the snow. What do we do? Uh, we, we, do we need ice picks? And do we need crampons? He said, yes, you need ice picks and you need crampons. Crampons are the, uh, the, the spikes that you put on your shoes so that you can climb up snow or you can climb up ice. Preferably the harder the snow, the better you, it is to climb. And so they, they're like, yeah, yeah, you guys need crampons. So like, okay, we got fitted for crampons. And then uh, I was like, well, Amanda, they don't rent, because we were renting our gear, they don't rent ice picks. So what are we going to do? We need to buy an ice pick. And it was like, it was like 80 or $100. They always, they're just so expensive to buy stuff for, for hiking. We're like, man, we don't really want to buy this because it's $80. We don't even know if we'll need it. I can't imagine we'll need it. So we went without the ice picks. And we go, we get up there. It's a nice time, you know. We get up 3.30 in the morning the next day, and we go to hike this mountain. And there's no snow, but we get to the part where there is snow. And the one pass that's usually opened is actually closed because there's too much ice and there's too, snow, too, too much snow and it's very, very dangerous. And so we have to go, instead of using all these switchbacks, and switchbacks are easy way to get up a mountain, kind of goes back and forth slowly. Instead of doing that, we had to go straight up. And straight up means there's snow covering the mountain face and you're going str- not sh- literally straight up the mountain, but it was probably, you know, it was, it was and so there's snow. And they call this, this, this area they call the chute. You have to climb up the chute, and that's how you get to where you would be if you had taken the other pass. And so we have to climb this, and we're with a bunch of other people, and they're climbing up, and, and we have our, we have our, our crampons on, and we're, we're ready to go. We have we got the GoPro on, you know, and I have all the stuff. I think there's a picture of it. Uh, but So we're trying to climb up this mountain. We climb up it. Stupidest thing we've ever done in our life. We climb up this. That wasn't the problem. The problem was coming back down. Coming back down... The, the sun's hit the mountain, and the sun's hit the snow. So the snow is starting to turn to slush. It's not hard snow anymore. So if you get down there, you could slide all the way down. And I had some people who encouraged me the day before. They said, they, they were trying to encourage me. They said, yeah, there was just uh, four people who were medevaced out of here yesterday because they, they broke them, some of their legs. So they're like, oh, great, you know. And so they said, if you have your ice pick, though, it's fine. If you have your ice pick, all you have to do is squat down on your bottom, take your crampons off, you have your ice pick, you put your ice pick like that, and you just slide down the whole way. They said, no big deal, you'll be fine, go do it. But we didn't have ice picks. So instead of ice picks, we have to go on foot all the way down. And I think we might have a picture of it, I don't know what's going on, but we, we might have a picture of it. I can show you guys a picture later on. It was just incredible. It was literally the scariest thing I have ever done in my life. Me and my wife, climbing down this mountain, it took us two hours climb down this mountain. Everyone else, they're sliding down like penguins, waving at us, you know. Hey, how you doing? We're, we're climbing down. We're trying not to die on the way down. Literally the dumbest thing that we've ever done. Why? Because we weren't equipped. Because we weren't equipped. We did not have everything we needed for the journey, and the journey was harder than it needed to be. 
The journey was, was scarier than it needed to be. You see, with the right equipment, everybody else, with the right equipment, they were having fun. They were having a good old time. It was exciting. This is great. This is going to be a memory forever. The only reason we remember it and we can't get it out of our mind is because it was so scary. See, this is so important that we get this. The scripture, the word of God, that is what equips us as, as Christians. That is, that is what equips us as followers of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, it is what we, what we need this morning is the word of God. When we are equipped with the word of God in our life, it doesn't make life more difficult. It makes it easier. Scripture doesn't take your joy. It multiplies it. When I'm properly equipped, it makes the journey exciting. You see, Scripture gives joy to your journey. Too often, the, the, uh, the, the Scriptures, they get this bad rap that, oh, if we follow the Bible, we can't ever have fun, we can't ever exciting. But it's completely the opposite. God said, if you're equipped with the Scriptures, you're going to have a better Christian life than all the other Christians that you know. You're going to be able to be more effective, more efficient as a Christian. And that's not the only thing it does. Look at this. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So he's tempting him here. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So the devil took Jesus up into a high mountain Show him all the great empires. Show him all the great kingdoms of the earth. The tempter said, I'll give you all of this. I'll give you all of this if you fall down and worship me. I'll give you riches. I'll give you kingdoms. I'll give you power. I'll give you glory. I'll give you esteem. I'll give you whatever you desire. What's the devil trying to do? Don't miss this. The devil was trying to tempt Jesus with all the things self would want. Self-indulgence, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-glory, self-dependence, selfish ambition. This may be one of the most compelling temptations for us today as Americans. To live for all the things that self desires. To live for all the things that we want. But Jesus once again quoted scripture and fought this temptation. Why? Because the word of God is, when the word of God is in your mind, there is no room for self. There is no room room for self, uh, self, uh, self-righteousness. There's no room for self-centeredness. There's no room for self-glory, uh, self-dependence, selfish ambition. When your mind is filled with scripture, it is emptied of self. When your mind is filled with scripture, there's no room for me to have all these uh, priorities out of whack, for all, have all these ambitions that are contrary to what the word of God tells us. Let me explain it to you this way. I have, uh, I have a... Um, I have a little bit of a science experiment with me this morning, and uh, I wanted to show it to you guys this morning. And uh, in case it do- doesn't work, let me just give a disclaimer that I haven't actually tried this yet. So I'm really kind of hoping that it works more than, more than anything. But um, I, have, um, I have a couple items with me. I have sesame seed oil, which is amazing. I have um, this glass, and we'll just set this bad boy right there. And uh, I have some extra water. And what I want to show you is this, if it works right, this oil. Obviously, you know oil is um, lighter than water, right? So let's get this oil in here. And let's just say this is, this is self right here. Let's just say this is the word of God. So we have the word of God in our life. But there's also self in us. There's self-confidence. 
there's self-glory. There's self-righteousness. There's self-dependence. There's selfish ambition. All the things that we want in life. All the priorities we have. All the things that we desire. All the materialism. That's this right here. That's what this is. You can see it clearly, I assume. This is self right here. And this is the Word of God. But when you pour the Word of God in your life, Pour the word of God in your life. Get more of the word of God. More scripture. Reading it every single day. Teaching it to your family. Don't worry, it's plastic underneath. Pour the word of God in your life. Guess what? It worked out okay. You know what happens? When you pour the word of God into your life, there's no room for self anymore. Pour the word of God into your life, everything that's unnecessary falls out, pours away. What's the point? What we need in our life is the word of God. Why? Because when the word of God is poured into our life, it empties our life of self. It empties our life of selfish ambition empties ourself of selfish priorities. It empties our life of things that we want that we don't need. It empties our life of the things that God is trying to get rid of. That's what the Word of God does. See, see, that's what the Word of God is. Let me encourage you this morning. Pour the Word of God into your life. Read it daily. Apply it to your life. Teach it to your family. Listen to it on podcast. Uh, listen to uh, teaching and preaching every single day. Uh, claim its promises for your life. Study it as often as you can. That's what your family needs. That's what you need. You know all those, those thoughts and those temptations you have in your heart and your mind. What you need is not more self-help books. What you need is the Word of God. What we need this morning is the Word, teaching it to our children, saturating our family with the Word of God, saturating our mind and our heart with the Word of God, teaching it to uh, the people that we know, uh, coming to church on a weekly basis and hearing the Word of God preached. That is what we need. That should be priority number one. Every single day, saturating our heart with the Word of God. Every single day, sometime in the morning, sometime in the afternoon, sometime in the evening, pouring the Word of God into our heart. This should be a discipline, a Christian discipline in our life. This should be a habit. This should be something we enjoy, saying, I want the Word of God in my life because when there's more of the Word of God, my marriage is better. When there's more of the Word of God in my life, my priorities work themselves out. When there's more of the Word of God, when there's more Scripture in my life, I get along better with the people around me. I don't spend my, uh, my money as foolishly. I value uh, these Christian values. I value church a little bit more. I want to give to God uh, with my finances when the word of God is poured into our life. That's why Paul, in the book of Hebrews, said that scripture cuts into our soul like a two-edged sword. God's word at once guards against the temptation of selfishness and cuts away the selfishness that's already present in our life. That's why you see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, the Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. It's, it's quick. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? It means it's very, very sharp. Uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's so sharp, it can pierce into our soul and it can discern the thoughts and intents and the motives of our, of our life. 
to, is the discerner of the thoughts and says, what's he saying here? It, the word of God is quick and powerful. You think of a surgery or you think of a surgeon. What do they do? They use a very sharp scalpel. They put someone under anesthesia, whatever it's called. They put someone under drugs, okay? And they get a scalpel and they cut someone open. And they, they dig around in that person with that, with that scalpel. And they get some tweezers and they pull out, maybe it's cancer. They pull out the cancer that's inside someone's body. And, and as this person's getting cut open, you see that, you remember that you always, there's always friends and family that are in the waiting room, waiting to hear what's happening, waiting to hear from the doctor that their uh, loved one is going to be all right. And the doctor comes out, the surgeon comes out, and he says, we cut into your, we cut into your loved one, and it was success. We pulled everything out that needed to pull out. We pulled out the cancer. We got all of it, and there we put it, we sewed them back up, and they're going to be fine. He's going to have a nasty scar. He's going to feel it in the morning, but he's going to be fine. You don't say, how dare you cut my, how dare you cut my loved one open? You don't say, you didn't actually cut him, did you? No, you say, thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for doing that. Now he, my loved one is cancer-free. Now my loved one is healed. Now my loved one can live a normal life. Because the scalpel did something bad or good. No, 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 because it healed. It cut open that person. It pulled something out. That's what the word of God does to us every time we open it up. Every time we listen to it. Every time we, we put it in front of us. The word of God is trying to cut into our life. Why? Because it's trying to make us miserable? No, no, no. The opposite of that. The word of God is trying to cut into our life. Pull something out of us that doesn't belong there. Pull something out of us that's going to hurt us later on down the road. It's trying to heal us preemptively from things in our life. That's what the word of God is trying to do. It's a two-edged sword. And that is a good thing because it's helping us it's building us it's equipping us that's what the scripture does scripture cuts and convicts and challenges but that is what that's what requires that's what restores and builds and equips us scripture actually it actually changes the way you process life it aligns your desires with God's desires it applies biblical wisdom to decisions you face it makes love the first impulse in a relationship and not the last it makes forgiveness the first impulse in a relationship not the last you see it makes uh, it seems it, it sees your resources through the lens of generosity not the lens of scarcity not the lens of materialism not the lens of what i can get it's, it gives us the lens of generosity when it comes to our resources scripture cuts away our selfish ambitions and desires it convicts us of our materialism it challenges our selfish priorities when the word of god is allowed to speak into our life and penetrate our heart it will cut out those parts of our lives that are driven by self that don't need to be there. What has God's word been challenging you on? What, what does God's word need to uh, pr uh, pull out of your life? What part of your life, what ambition, what desire is this book right here trying to pull out of you? What ambition, what's, what, what, what kind of self-glory, what kind of selfish ambition, what kind of self-priority is the word of God, this book, trying to say to you this morning, that doesn't need to be there. That needs to be taken out of your life. Whenever God's words cuts, it cuts for our benefit. God's word cuts selfishness out of our heart and mind. But the good news is that when he cuts the selfishness and he cuts self out of us, he always replaces it. Look at Matthew chapter 4. This is really cool. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse number 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made of bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That might be a good verse to, uh, to memorize right there, verse number four. 
So the devil knew that Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. Okay, the devil knew this. Knew Jesus was hungry. So the devil comes up to Jesus and he says, see those stones right there? I know you're hungry. Look, nothing wrong with making, making some bread. You see those stones right there? You're hungry. Turn those stones into bread and you'll be fine. That's what the tempter tells Jesus. Hasn't eaten for 40 days. And here's the thing. It didn't seem like even it was, a big, it was even a big deal, right? Stones in the bread, no big deal. I mean, if I was God, if I was Jesus, I hadn't eaten for 40 days, I would have taken a couple of flat stones, turned them into a couple pizzas. That would be all good. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Once again, Jesus withstood the temptation by quoting Scripture. But what exactly did he say when he quotes Scripture? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus states that, it, that just as food sustains and strengthens us physically, the word of God strengthens us spiritually. Just as, just as food sustains us, just as food strengthens us, so the word of God, when it's into our life, it, it sustains us and strengthens us. It actually gives us divine strength from God. Yes, God's word cuts away selfishness, but it gives divine strength in replacement of it. You see, it gives us divine strength for our life. It gives us spiritual strength for our marriage, it, our family, our workplace, and the internal struggles that we face on a daily basis. See, I heard the story of, a, of a, a son who went to college, and the parents were sending their son to college. When their son left for their, his freshman year of college, his, his parents gave him a Bible and told him to read it. And uh, every once in a while, the, the parents would uh, hear from their son. And if you, you've ever been to college, you know that the only thing you want to talk to your parents about when you're in college is, is, uh, is money. Right? You want to ask, hey, do you got any, got any spare cash laying around? And the parents would always say, well, you need to read your Bible. And they would cite the chapter, the book, the chapter, and the verse that their son needed to read. And so he uh, would say, well, I am reading my Bible, but I still need money. And every so often, uh, his, his, their son would say, well, I, I need some money. You got any money? And every time the parents would say, uh, read your Bible. And they would cite the book, the chapter, and the verse of the, of the part of the Bible that, ne- that he needed to read. And so he came home uh, the, after the semester ended the son. The son said to his parents, well, I, I don't have money. And... and I've been reading my Bible. And the parents said, no, 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 we know, you're, we know you're not reading your Bible, and here's why. Because the chapter and verse that, we've, that we cited, every time we told you to read, there was $20 bills tucked away in those chapter and verses in that part of the Bible. What's the point? The point is this. The point is that when, when you read your Bible, you're not necessarily going to get money from God. He's not going to necessarily give you a Lamborghini, but he will give you strength. Every time you open the word of God, he's going to give you something. Every time you open the word of God and you're looking for something, you're going to get something from it. He's always going to provide for you from scripture. He's always going to give you something you need. He's always going to give you encouragement. He's always going to give you comfort. He's always going to challenge your life. He's always going to challenge things that you think you knew. He's always going to. God doesn't promise that if you read his word that you're going to have lots of money because there are a lot of things in money that can't help. God does something better than give you money. God promises that with every step and every decision and every relationship and every situation, his word will give you the divine strength that you need. His word will give you the divine wisdom that only his word can give you. His word will sustain you. His word will give you wisdom. His word can change a heart. His word can heal a marriage. His word can lead a family. Have you made it a part of your daily life? God's word in your life. You see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. All 
scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? All scripture comes from God. All scripture is inspired by God. It, was, it might have been written by, by man, but man was only the tool that God was using to pen it. All scripture was given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The word of God is profitable to you. The word of God is profitable in your life. Sometimes we think it's only profitable in as much as I'm a church person. No, no, no. It's profitable to every part of your life. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Look at those verse, uh, next two, the next two words. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What does that mean? Thoroughly furnished. That word thoroughly furnished means literally to fit out. What does that mean? So if you guys, any of you guys are like me, you guys get a new toy. You get a new car, you get a new uh, truck, or you get a new motorcycle, or you get some new toy. You get a new boat, whatever, new house. What do you want to do to it after you've driven it around for a little bit? You think to yourself, because you're looking online, you're looking, at, um, you're looking at the magazines, you're saying, how can I upgrade this thing? What can I do to this vehicle? What, how can I get the lift kit without making the wife mad? How can, I, how, can I, how can I get the extra knickknacks on here? What can I do to upgrade? And ladies, we do the same, you guys do the same thing. I said we. You guys do the same thing. When you guys move into a house, what's the first thing you do? You want to furnish it. You, get in your own, you want to get in your own wardrobe? You want to furnish that thing. You want to get the drapes. You want to get all the nice china and the silverware. And you want to get all the stuff for the house to make it look nice and pretty and flowery. All the stuff that the guys hate. And you want to make it, you just want to get, you want to get it furnished. You want to get it, so then you walk in, you're like, this looks like Pottery barn. This looks like whatever. Guys, when we get the, we get the vehicle, we get the toy, we say, how can we upgrade? That's what this verse is talking about. You see, what, you know what the word of God does? It upgrades us. It furnishes us. It makes us complete. It makes us the person that we need to be. You see, the Bible doesn't up upend your life. The Bible doesn't turn your life upside. The Bible doesn't upend your life. It upgrades your life. See, God's word, God wants his word to be put inside us so that it can equip us, so that it can stimulate growth, and so that it can give us divine strength from him. But I want to show you the best part of God's word. This is the part where you have to stay with me. John chapter 1, verse number 1 and 2, and I'll read it for you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Look at verse number 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's he talking about? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What's he talking about there? You see the Word here. It's capitalized. That word, Word, <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, that's capitalized. Why? Because it's talking about a person. Word there. In, it, it means logos. You know who Word is talking about? In the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word was God, and the word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. That's talking about Jesus. See that? We have the word of God revealed to us in scripture and we've been given the word of God to fight temptation and to receive strength for our journey of life. But that's not all God's word has done. What scripture does for our life on earth, it also does for our soul and eternity through Christ. Ultimately, in Jesus Christ, the word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ. The word of God, the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you see in verse number 14, uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus, who is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, and he became flesh when he came to earth for us. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He became a man. Jesus is the word, the logos, who came to earth, not just to cut away selfishness, but to cut away sinfulness. Not just to give us strength, but to give us salvation. Not just to give us joy, but to give us justification. 
You see Romans chapter 8, verse number 3, for what the law could not do, for what scripture, what the Bible, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, we could never keep the law on by ourselves. We can never keep the Ten Commandments. We can never say, say oh, I have completed all the word of God. I have kept every single com- uh, commandment. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin condemned sin in the flesh. See, we could not keep all of this. We cannot keep all the laws and the commandments. So what did God do? He made the word flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to earth. He died for us. He kept all the law for us because we could not keep the law. Now when God looks at us after we have received Jesus Christ, he sees all the righteousness of the law fulfilled in us because of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth this morning. The word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ, and now we have the righteousness of the word of God. You see this Ezekiel chapter 11. And I will give them a one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. This is what God's saying to us. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh. He'll cut us open with the word of God. He'll take the stony heart of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. So he takes the stony heart out of us and he gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. Just as the word of God cuts out the selfishness of our own soul and replaces it with divine strength. So, so Jesus came to earth so that he could cut out our sinful heart of stone and replace it with a heart that will be eternally alive. You see, when Jesus gave us this new heart, the heart didn't come from an unnamed, anonymous, unknown donor. The new heart that God gave us when he cut out our stony heart was his own heart. You see, he says here in Ezekiel chapter 11, I will give them a heart of flesh. Jesus, who owed us nothing and had no obligation to save mankind, saved us anyway. He sacrificed his own life and gave it to us. Jesus took our heart of stone and he gave us his own heart. That's what he did on the cross. Heard a story of uh, the other day that I think might help us understand this concept a little bit better. It's a story of a woman who struggled for years with, with heart failure. Because of her condition, there were, were times when uh, she would have a lot of complications. Uh, a lot of times she gave up hope, and she even she wanted to die. She needed a, she needed a heart transplant. She needed one badly. Uh, while waiting for a donor, she suffered two heart attacks, and because of the two heart attacks, she, she fell into a coma. Uh, because of the coma, she needed to be transferred to a more specialized hospital. Uh, and, and when she was at that hospital, they brought her up out of coma. They were able to revive her out of that coma. And uh, she remained on the, the donor waiting list for 18 months. 18 months she was on this waiting list. And it says through that, through that 18-month period that she was waiting, she wanted, to, she, she wanted to give up hope. She wanted to just be done with all of it. Finally, there was a donor. And she had the surgery. And after the surgery, she, it was a successful surgery. It was so successful, she says, in her own words, that I never, she never had any complications. She didn't, have, uh, she didn't have any heart problems. She didn't have fever. She didn't even have uh, blood pressure problems. She was astounded. The doctors were astounded on how her recovery was. But she wanted to meet the person that had given her heart. She wanted to meet the family of the person who had donated the heart. And so she, she wrote the, uh, the donor, the donor's mother, and said, can we meet up sometime? The, the donor's mother said, okay, yeah, I would love to meet up with you. And so the, the, she drove all the way to where they were meeting in, in Texas, and she drove over there, and she got out of her car, and she saw the donor's mother. Obviously, her 
child was now dead, but she saw the donor's mother, and when they saw each other, they started crying. And this is what she says when she, when she met the donor's mother. In her own words, she says, When my donor's mother and I locked eyes, we both began to cry. I took her hand and put it on my chest where her heart would be. I told her, here is your son's heart, but it's mine now. And so they both laughed and they cried together again. Jesus gave us a new heart and equipped us for life and eternity because of his sacrifice. And the word of God is what equips us for life on earth. Jesus equips us for life and eternity. The word of God equips us for life on earth. And we absolutely need both every single day.